and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, uh, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We've talked about what does God desire for our music. And a couple of weeks ago, we said that the pur one purpose of music is that the word of Christ, that the, that the truth of the gospel would dwell richly in our hearts because we all know that music has the power to dwell in our hearts and in our minds. If I sing uh, songs from when you were a teenager, you probably remember them very, very well because music dwells in our hearts and it dwells in our minds. And uh, we want the word of Christ, we want the truth of the gospel uh, to be dwelling richly in our hearts and in our minds. Then last week, we said that whenever we sing as a church, that it's more than just uh, a filler in the service time. It's more than just giving people time to show up late before the message. Um, really, it is a ministry. It is a way for me to serve my church family. And the verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, whenever I sing in church and whenever I sing out loud, even if I can't sing well, uh, how many of you, you think you sing really well? Don't, don't answer that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Ty thinks that he sings well, but Trent has some videos that uh, might say a little otherwise. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, so some of you may say, Pastor, I think I sing really well. Some of you might say, I do not sing well. But the truth of the matter is, is that whether you have a voice that other people would say is awesome or maybe other people would just, I don't know how else to say it, maybe cringe a little bit. The truth of the matter is, is that whenever I sing out, um, it does, it serves, it ministers, it ministers to um, everyone that also worships the Lord around me. And that's actually the biggest reason why we actually sing out loud together. Um, and that's the biggest reason why pretty much all of our music is not necessarily like special music. Um, it's why it's all what we would call congregational music. It's it's the opportunity for us to all sing and encourage each other. And then I want you to consider the last part of the verse. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we'll take time at some time in the future, I'm sure, uh, to consider what those different types of music are. But it says, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Um, so music is designed to serve our church family uh, by my singing out and by your singing out. Um, it serves our church family. It builds up our faith. It strengthens. It encourages each other in a way that is truly uh, spiritual, and I don't even know how to explain it. But it also is something that happens in your heart to the Lord. Uh, when you sing, it is this, you are singing to the Lord. And actually, most of the time when we sing, most of the songs, the wording of the song with most songs that we sing is actually designed to be to the Lord. I grew up here singing a lot of songs that were about the Lord, but most of the songs that we try to sing that we pick are actually songs that we're singing to the Lord. And I hope that when you sing, that's something that it's something that's from your heart. It's actually an act of worship. Uh, worship is not a synonym for music, but when we sing, it should be an act of worship. So let me just encourage you each week as you sing to sing, sing out whether you think you have the voice of an angel or the voice of something else. Uh, <laughs> sing, sing out to the Lord, encourage the people around you, and, and we will be strengthened because of your service as you sing to Jesus. Um, and God will do amazing things as we worship him together in our hearts and strengthen our faith so that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. 
Uh, If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter number four, Matthew chapter number four. And now we are uh, getting into our sermon series that we are actually almost finished with. And I've really enjoyed this sermon series that we're calling Building Blocks, Uh, Building Blocks. And the idea behind this series is that we all build our lives on something. We all, we, all have, we all have things that we look to. We all have things that we rely on for security, for peace, uh, for, for happiness, for a sense of well-being, for a sense of flourishing. We all are building our lives on something. And of course, over the course of this series, we've looked at uh, we've looked at these building blocks on this side, and we've seen the building blocks of comfort. Of uh, we all want to be comfortable. I, I want to be in the heat during this weather. We all would want to build. We all want things like social acceptance, the acceptance of our family and friends and peers. We all want to be. Everyone wants to be happy. Uh, we want things like job security and financial security and throw in a romantic relationship and we feel like, hey, those are the things uh, that I need to, that make up the good stuff of life. And of course, all of these things are good things. All of these things are wonderful things. Um, They are all things that we like. But the problem is... When the winds of life blow, then in one moment, one word, one conversation, all of that can tumble over. Uh, There are things that are nice things. They're just not stable things. They can be here today. They can be gone tomorrow. And would you thank Aiden for the great job that he just did with that? Thank you, Aiden. We've been talking over the last several weeks about a strong foundation that we can build our lives on, and that is the truth of the gospel. The winds of life, the the bad news of life cannot tumble over, cannot knock over uh, the truth of the gospel. So over the last several weeks, we've been looking at it kind of like a diamond. There's many facets to a diamond uh, that you can look at at different angles. Well, there's facets to the gospel that we've been looking at over the course of the last several weeks. And in week number one, we talked about gospel conviction. Uh, We talked about gospel conviction, this this deep-seated conviction in my heart that the truth of the gospel is true, that Jesus's way is best, that he does care for me, that he does love me. That's gospel conviction. We've talked about gospel clarity. I, I need to understand what is the gospel? And ultimately, we said that the gospel is the truth that Jesus uh, loved me, that he died for me, that he was buried, that he rose again to pay for my sins. And that answers the deep questions, the deep longings of our heart to know, am I fully known and am I fully loved? And because of Jesus's death and because of his resurrection, that answers the question, I am fully known because Jesus died even though I'm a sinner. Uh, he didn't say, you have to become a better person for me to, be, to love you enough to save you. Uh, he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're fully known, but we're also fully loved. Jesus still died for our sins, and that's something we thank him for and praise him for and give him glory. We talked about gospel character. 
gospel character. The truth of the gospel is that when because Jesus died for me and he, because he rose again for me, he gives me new life. And it's this new life that enables me to live a life that is holy and well-pleasing to God. It's to live a life of righteousness. It's, it takes away the power of sin and temptation in my life. That's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus does for us. And then last week, and I was not feeling well. So thank you so much to all of you who were just, you like, you guys were so nice. I was, uh, man, I was in a bad spot last week. Uh, but we talked about gospel preaching. Uh, the need for all of us to be preachers of the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves, because you and I need that truth every single day, and to preach the gospel to others so that they can know the hope that is found in Jesus. And that's one last week I shared with you that, hey, if you want to know, if you feel like, I need, to, I need to do that. I want to do that. I just don't know how to share my faith with others. That's why we're going to start the class tonight. Uh, the class tonight starting at 5 o'clock on how to share our faith. Today we're going to unveil the second to last building block that we find in Matthew chapter number 4. And let me go ahead and uh, reveal that for us. And the truth that we're going to look at today is gospel, does it say community? Gospel community. We did it right this week. Gospel community. Matthew chapter 4, if you'll read with me in verse number 18. If you didn't bring a Bible, then we have the verses up on the screen. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Uh, today, let's focus on the truth and the need for gospel community in your life and in mine today. Let's pray, and then we will uh, we'll unpack the scripture this morning together. Father, we come before you again to study your word and to hear from your voice. And Lord, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would lead our study. <coughs> I ask that you would speak through me, help me to say only what you want me to say, nothing uh, more or less. I ask that you be with each person who's here today. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you give them exactly what they need. Um, people have come in today with, with heavy hearts that need the encouragement that the gospel brings. There's people who come in today needing to be challenged and needing to be convicted uh, by the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I pray today that we would unpack it and that through today we would love you more, that we would love like Jesus better, and that you would do amazing things in our hearts. And as we leave, that we would leave differently than when we came in in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Whenever I was in college, there was an invitation that every single person, and in particular, every single guy, wanted to receive. Uh, in the middle of October is a special event that is really special in my house called Canadian Thanksgiving. Now, if you're not familiar with Canadian Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving is a lot like 
um, American Thanksgiving. They celebrate uh, Thanksgiving for the same reasons that we do historically, uh, but they celebrate, they don't celebrate in November, they celebrate in October. And whenever I was in college, uh, the college would actually put on a huge banquet, a huge Thanksgiving feast um, on Columbus Day, on Canadian Thanksgiving, uh, for all of the Canadian college students. So I don't remember how many there were whenever I was a student there, but all of the Canadian students were really excited about Canadian Thanksgiving, and all of the American students uh, looked on with envy. Now, of course, there was one way for an American to get to go to Canadian Thanksgiving, and that was as if you were invited as a date. If you were invited as a date. So every year, whenever I was in school, there was always guys that were trying to befriend some Canadian girls, and uh, hopefully they would get invited so they could have some turkey and mashed potatoes and, and dressing and all of those kinds of things. Uh, it was always funny to hear guys in the dorm talk about, hey, I'm going to try to befriend this girl for the, next, for the next couple of weeks so I can get this Canadian Thanksgiving meal. Now, of course, uh, the first two years, I did not go to Canadian Thanksgiving, and I didn't go my junior year. Uh, but over the course of the summer, I proposed to a Canadian girl, not so that I could get an invite to Canadian Thanksgiving, uh, but I got engaged to a Canadian girl. So finally, my senior year, I got the coveted invitation, the invitation to Canadian Thanksgiving. And let me just say, for a hungry, tired college student, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, that invitation was one of the great invitations that everyone wanted in college. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see a much more significant invitation. And I want you to notice how beautiful and how amazing this invitation is, especially when we look at next week's text. So actually, let me go ahead and read for you next week's text. Jesus is starting his ministry. Jesus is beginning to preach all over Israel. And in verse 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, uh, that's a country, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed and uh, with devils and those, with those who were lunatic and those who had the palsy and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. Uh, in next week's text, we're going to see how Jesus begins preaching all over Israel. He starts to heal people all over Israel and people in Israel and even in the neighboring nation of Syria. They're starting to hear about what Jesus can do and everyone wants to hear him teach and, and have him heal them. Jesus is going to begin his ministry the way that we think of it. Whenever he's feeding the multitudes with loaves and fish, he's going to be uh, healing sick people. He's going to be teaching, and we're going to study together the, the great Sermon on the Mount. But before Jesus starts his very public and very exciting and very moving ministry, before he starts preaching to the multitudes, Jesus gathers a small tight-knit community. Before he starts changing the multitudes, he gets together his small group. Before Jesus goes far with people, he goes deep with people. 
And today what I want to share with you is that the invitation, it must have, what an invitation that might, that must have been to, to guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John. Like they're about to witness things. They're about to see things that they could never imagine. Uh, the Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah for thousands of years, and now they are going to get to spend every single day with him for the next three and a half years. And here, they are being invited by Jesus to do life with him. But that invitation isn't just for them. The invitation to walk with Jesus and the invitation to learn from Jesus is available to you and to me today. So let's look at this invitation for you and for me to walk with Jesus. And the first thing I want you to notice is the significance of the invitation. The significance of the invitation. Let's look together in verse number 18. It says, and Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee and saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net for they were fishers. And he said to them, follow me. The significance of the invitation. First, I want you to consider that this is significant because of who the inviter is. Because of who the inviter is. It kind of caught me funny whenever I was studying this week. It says that Jesus is walking beside the sea of Galilee when he invites them. He's walking beside the Sea of Galilee when he invites him. And why that's so interesting to me is because I, I'm going to give you a little hint. I've kind of been studying ahead. I've been reading ahead. And here's what I found in Matthew chapter number 8. In just four chapters, Jesus is going to calm the Sea of Galilee with his voice. Right now, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, but in four chapters, he's going to say to the Sea of Galilee, peace be still. And the storm that is threatening the disciples' lives, he's going to calm it with a word. Uh, but not only that, in, in chapter 14, uh, in chapter 14, Jesus is not going to be walking beside the Sea of Galilee. Galilee. Jesus is going to be walking on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is the one who, who in Genesis chapter 1 actually spoke the Sea of Galilee into existence with his word. It says that by Jesus, Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. This is the one who spoke the Sea of Galilee into existence. This is the one who's going to speak to the Sea of Galilee and calm the storm. This is the one who's going to walk on the Sea of Galilee. But here in this quiet and in this private moment, he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he goes to the smartest guys in Israel. It's not what the text says. He goes and he invites the philosophers of his day who are going to change the way that everyone thinks. That's not who he calls. He's going to go to the great preachers who can stand up in front of everyone and draw, draw the crowds. That's not who Jesus calls. The one who can calm the sea, the one who can speak to the sea, the one who can walk on the sea, the one who can create the sea, he's walking by the sea and he calls some simple fishermen. He calls some simple fishermen. Here's the significance of this invitation is that you have this great and mighty Savior, this great and incredible Redeemer, the one who was virgin born that we saw in our Christmas series, the one who could defeat Satan with a word like we saw weeks ago, the one who could preach in the face of opposition, repent for the kingdom is at hand, the one who brings the kingdom of heaven to mankind. He goes to simple fishermen. They are uneducated. The fishermen are uneducated. 
Uh, sure, they, they, they were able to read and they were able to write, but, but a lot of people, the, the Pharisees of the day, the scribes of the day, they, these people, they would memorize. Get this. I have trouble reading, like, like I've, I have trouble reading Leviticus. I have trouble reading Numbers. Uh, I have trouble sometimes reading Deuteronomy. That, that, those are a collection of books called the Pentateuch. You ready for this? Here's the education of their day. Those guys, they didn't just read it. They memorized it. Not a chapter and not a verse. If you're in one of my discipleship groups where we're memorizing like eight or ten verses at a time, they didn't memorize ten verses at a time. They memorized books at a time. Those were the educated people today. That's not these fishermen. They never went through a class on homiletics. They never went through a class on hermeneutics. And if you don't know what those things are, that's okay. <laughs> Neither did they. Yet he still calls them. They didn't train for ministry, yet he's going to say, hey, I want you to do ministry with me. They didn't go to college to learn how to preach, but he's saying, I'm going to send you out to preach. But my favorite thing that Jesus calls them to, we see in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 14, where it says that he called the 12 that they should be with him. That they should be with him. And here's why this invitation is so significant, because the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. They are written because the same Messiah, the same master, the same creator of this world, the same uh, lover of our souls has given an invitation to you and to me. And maybe you feel unworthy. Maybe you feel unlovable. Maybe you feel uncallable. Maybe you feel unusable. But my friend, the same great and glorious God who called these simple fishermen calls to you and to me today and says, I know you and I love you and I want you to be with me and I want to use your life for eternal purposes, for eternal purposes. Listen, my friend, you are invited by God to walk with him, to know him, to live for him. And what a significant invitation that is. It's the calling of the invitation that is amazing to me. But I also want you to notice uh, the, the significance of the invitation, but I also want you to notice what the calling of the invitation is. What are you actually being invited to? Whenever I got invited to Canadian Thanksgiving, I had some ideas of what it would be, um, and the food was pretty good. It wasn't my mom's Thanksgiving cooking, uh, but then they played all these different types of games, and it was just, it was different than I expected. So what do we expect with Jesus' invitation? The calling of the invitation. He says in verse number 18, or in verse number 19, it says, He said to them, Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The first thing that I want you to notice is this invitation to his words are, Follow me. Follow me. Now, here's what is interesting about this is that Jesus is not the first person who would go to people and say, follow me. This is something that was actually pretty common uh, by, by philosophers and by rabbis of Jesus' day. You see, what he was inviting them into was to be something that they called a methetes. You want to go ahead and just say that with me so that way you can stay awake. Methetes. All right, that was terrible. Let's say it one more time. Methetes. That's a Greek word, and what that means is an apprentice. Or another word that we could use is the word mimic. 
is the word mimic. That's where we get our word mimic, comes from that word methetes. And what a philosopher would do, or what a rabbi would do, is he would gather a collection of students. He would gather a collection of students together, and what they would do is that they would, they would mimic their rabbi. They would mimic uh, their teacher, and they would follow them wherever they would go. Throughout all of their life, they would hear what the philosopher, they would hear what the rabbi would teach. Uh, they would do what the rabbi would do. They would travel. They would do life with him, and then they understood that when their rabbi died, when their philosopher died, that it was their job to carry on the teachings of the rabbi. It was their job to carry on the teachings of the philosopher. That's what a methetes did. So when Jesus is calling these new disciples, when he's calling these fishermen, he's calling them to be a mimic of him. He's calling them to be his methetes. He's calling them to be his apprentices or disciples. And my friend, what we need to know, why that is significant for you and for me, is that when Jesus calls you to follow him, he's not just calling you to come to church on Sundays. He's not just calling you uh, to pray a prayer and raise your hand and say, I believe in Jesus. What he's calling you to is to live a life where he is your teacher, where he is your rabbi, where you are his mimic and you're following wholeheartedly, you are following him. That is the invitation that you're being called to. Uh, where the way that I live and the way that I think and the way that I speak is governed by the goodness, by the way of Jesus. And I can only do that. I'm only willing to do that if I have this gospel conviction that he loves me and he cares for me so and his way is best. So I want to pattern my life after him. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying more than just believe in me. He's saying more than just come to church. He's saying more than just sing some songs. He's saying your life should be a pattern of following, of mimicking, of living wholeheartedly devoted to me. That's what he's inviting them to. And to be honest, it's an invitation that most people at that point aren't super interested in. But he says, I'm inviting you to follow me. It's this idea of apprenticeship. But then he says also, he says, follow me. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. Now, interesting that it is that uh, Jesus and uh, his masterful use of language. Here you have these you have these fishermen, and then he says to them, "Hey, follow me. Be my apprentice, and I will make you. I will change you, fishers of men." And to me, that's something that is both encouraging and it's also something that is uh, deeply warning. Because on one end, it is so comforting because, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up going to church all the time, and I heard this taught so many times. In fact, whenever I was a kid, and maybe you heard this, maybe you heard this, maybe you sang this uh, whenever you were a kid, but we'd always sing the song, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, and I'm not going to sing it because we already had the singing portion of the service, and I won't put you through that. Uh, I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. But here's the way that I kind of always kind of took it was that Jesus said that real followers of him are fishers of men, which means that they're always bringing people into church. They're always seeing people see, saved. And I just have to work at getting really good at bringing people to Jesus. But here's what's so beautiful about this. He doesn't say, follow me and I will send you to be fishers of men. He says, follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will transform you. Follow me and I will shape your heart. 
Follow me and I will change your very identity. Uh, Not to be just a fisherman. You're just a fisherman no longer. I'm going to fundamentally change and shape and mold who you are so that you are a fisher of men. But something else that we need to understand, and uh, this is so important whenever I follow Jesus, when I wholeheartedly follow Jesus, is that this is not a call to self-improvement. This is not a call to self-improvement. And here's where I may turn somebody off. A lot of times we come into church because we go to church and say, if I go to church, then it'll just make me like a little bit, a little bit better. I'll get some, I'll get some nice tools in my tool belt for how to handle money better. I'll get some nice, I'll get some, I'll get some nice principles on how to be a nicer person. Uh, I'll get some, I'll get some nice principles on, on, on how to, here's a five-step program to have better relationships. And certainly, Scripture speaks to every area of life. Uh, scripture does speak to every area of life. As I follow Jesus, he, he changes me and he molds me to be a person who I think is a lot kinder. Uh, he's, he gives me the wisdom. He has the wisdom in his word to give me what I need to know how to handle finances with wisdom and in a way that makes sense. Uh, he, does, he does change and shape and mold my relationship so that if I'm following Jesus, like the church, believers should be the best people at knowing how to handle relationships. That's the way that it should be. But when Jesus is calling, he's saying, I'm going to fundamentally transform who you are. This is not self-improvement. This is transformation by the power of God. And what a wonderful truth that is, because maybe you're in the room this morning, and you've been trying to turn over a new leaf over and over and over again, and you've failed. Maybe you've tried to quit drinking over and over and over again, and you've failed. Uh, Maybe you've tried to stop that bad habit over and over and over again, and you've failed, and you just feel like, I keep on trying to turn over a new leaf, and I just can't. I can do okay for a little bit. My friend, the way of Jesus is a way of transformation where he is transforming you, where you don't have to transform yourself. You just submit to him and you follow him and he makes you into who he wants you to be. He makes you into a fisher of men. He's calling them to follow, to be his apprentice. And the promise with that is that he changes and he transforms us into something that is much more meaningful and something much more purposeful. But finally, I want you to notice the fine print. The fine print. In verse number 20, it says, They straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And he called them. And here we see some fine print whenever it comes to following Jesus. I love the fine print of things, don't you? You know, whenever you listen to those commercials, those commercials about like, hey, take this medicine and it's going to change your life. And you're going to have like, you're going to go from being sick to to being completely healthy. And you're going to look like you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And, 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 you know, if you just if you have if you have asthma, then take this pill and you'll never cough again. And, and, and here's this other medicine where if you have arthritis, like you will never have an ache and you'll never have a pain again in your life. And then at the end of the commercial, there's. Side effects include vomiting, diarrhea, and death. It's like, here's a cough, here's some cough medicine. You might die if you take it, but, you know, there's, there's the fine print. The fine print got me back in October 
when I was cheering for the Astros to win, and they convinced me that they were going to win the World Series. And then Mr. Mattress Mac got up on a commercial one day and said, free furniture, free, 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 free. If the, world, if the Astros win the World Series, then you get a free mattress. So I said, I need a mattress. So let me go buy a mattress. Surely the Astros will win. And then the fine print. And I'm paying for it to this day. It's the fine print. What is the fine print of following Jesus? Here's where we need to know. That when we follow Jesus, there is a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. Jesus said, if you are not willing to leave father and mother and sister and brethren, uh, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Like, that's some strong language. And we'll talk about what all that means when we get to it down the road. But here, whenever Jesus calls these disciples, look at what they're doing. These fishermen are by their boats, mending their nets, but in verse number 20, it says, And straightway they left their nets and followed him. Here you have these fishermen. They're in their boat, Peter and Andrew. They're in their boat, just fishing away. But whenever Jesus calls them, they leave their nets. Then he goes to Peter. Then he goes to James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And they've got a family business. Uh, James and John, they're, they're in their boats and they're cleaning their nets with their dad. And, and then Jesus walks by and he says, follow me. And then James and John, they're like, dad, see you. Peace out. And they get up and they, they leave and they follow Jesus. And sometimes we, we just need to understand this. We need to understand the fine print. And I'm saying it's slow and not like the end of a medicine commercial. Is that Following Jesus, there is a cost. There is a price tag that comes to following Jesus. But I would also say that the price tag is so worth it. The price tag is so worth it. Now, I've shared with you before how whenever I was in high school, I played, I played basketball. And the price tag for playing on my high school basketball team was this, which was very difficult for me, was that if you played basketball on my high school basketball team, then you couldn't drink any soda. Uh, or Coke, or for me, everything was Pepsi. You couldn't drink Pepsi. So if you wanted to play on the basketball team, if you wanted to commit to going to win a championship, then you had to give up for the season, you had to give up soft drinks. It was a price tag. And you know what? Sometimes it was hard. Sometimes it was like, man, right now I just want a Pepsi. There's no other drink, just so you know. I just ordered Pepsi, but you know what? Whenever we were holding up trophies, when we were winning games, primarily because we were in better shape than everybody else, we said, "Hey, you know what? I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I didn't drink Pepsi. I'm glad that I that I gave that up for the prize." And my friend, can I just say to you is that following Jesus, there's a price tag to be paid. It's not always the most convenient thing, but when we, but the prize is Jesus. And isn't he greater than everything else? Isn't he greater than anything else? Whenever I consider, and maybe you're asking the question, why would I want to pay a price tag to follow Jesus? Why would I be willing to give up things to follow Jesus? 
the greatest motivation is this, is that Jesus gave up a lot for you and for me. Jesus who dwelled in and enjoyed the splendor of glory with his Father gave all of that up to come and dwell, to come live amongst men. Like, we know that God, God doesn't, the Bible says God doesn't slumber or sleep. But surely everyone, we do know that he rested in Genesis 2, right? So like, can you imagine like the Tempur-Pedic of all Tempur-Pedics in heaven that belonged to Jesus? And when he came to earth, he said that the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He gave up the splendors and the glories of heaven in ways that we can't even fathom what that is. He left it all for you and for me to dwell among us, to live among us. And then he willingly, no one, no one took his life from him. He willingly laid it down. He gave it up because of the great love that he has for you and for me. Jesus gave up everything because he loves you so much that he, said, that he says so that he could preach to you, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven has come to you. So follow me. Follow me. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor David, I have never, I've never made that decision to, to follow Jesus. Uh, I have heard about Jesus. I've heard that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I've, I've heard that he rose again, but I've never actually uh, turned to him. I've never surrendered to him. My friend, today can be your day. Today can be the day where you decide to surrender and turn to Jesus. Maybe you're a person here today who you'd say, I, I've known Jesus for a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm saved. I'm a believer. But I've never just made that commitment to actually be his disciple, to be his mimic, to be his, to be his student. And you know what? I need to take a step forward in that. I need to take a step forward in that. My friend, make the step today. Take the step today. Decide I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's a man, this is the final story and we'll be done. Uh, there's a man named uh, Jim Borden. And Jim Borden was a man who, um, his family owned the Borden milk products. Uh, so if you go to the store and you see like Borden milk or Borden cheese or those kinds of things, like his family owned uh, the Borden brand. Um, but whenever he was in high school, he felt like God was calling him to be a missionary uh, to a Muslim people group. Whenever he made that decision, everyone told him, hey, you're the, you're the heir to this multi-multi-million dollar brand. They said, God has called me to be a preacher of the gospel. God's called me to be a missionary. And he decided that he was going to pursue that. And before he ever made it to his field, before he ever made it to his mission, he got sick and died. He gave up everything to follow Jesus. And whenever, after he died and they were getting ready to bury him, they found in his Bible where he just wrote down, I have no regrets. There's no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus. My friend, he is worthy of our everything. And when we commit, I'm going to be his follower. I'm going to be his disciple. You know what? We can look back and sometimes it doesn't even make sense. We can say, I have no regrets. There's no, there's no turning back. There's no retreating because Jesus is worthy of my everything because he has given everything for me. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness.